Well, good morning. Good to see you. My name is Josh and uh, one of the pastors here. Welcome to all of you who are joining us online too. Really glad you can be with us. And uh, hey, just good to be with you today. You know, we are in our third week of our series called Grounded, our Grounded Initiative. And uh, what we're doing is we're uh, looking at our statement of faith. And uh, working our way through there. And in addition to that, we'll talk about that in a moment, but uh, really this is just something that's gonna take us into the summer. And uh, our our Grounded Initiative is about uh, being grounded spiritually and emotionally, relationally, but also in terms of of our parking lot, a really really practical thing. And expanding that, reconstructing all of that is a huge part of this whole project and this initiative together. And in addition to that, uh, being able to build a home for vulnerable girls overseas. And as you know, we've, uh, we already support one and have built one, uh, funded the construction, I should say, of one for some boys over there, about 70 boys. And uh, by God's grace, being able to do that for the same number of girls on that same property. And we're really excited about that. So I would encourage you too, and I think it might even be on there. When you, when you pray through these things, those first three, especially joy, uh, unity, harvest, pray those, uh, for those children and those workers there as well. And uh, be sure we keep both of those things in mind as we go forward. So uh, I really commend that to you, and I'm excited for for Pastor Dave to lead us in all of that. But as I mentioned, um, we're working through our statement of faith, and we are part of, if you don't know, uh, the Evangelical Free Church of America. You might call it our denomination, our fellowship. Really, it's a it's a group, a fellowship, or an association of autonomous and interdependent churches. So we're free, but we participate and interact with other churches and uh, we share a common statement of faith. And so we've been uh, becoming reacquainted with that in a way where we know we're grounded in it. And so we've talked about being grounded in God and in who he is. And last week we looked at, at the reliability of God's word, being grounded in God's word. And today As you came in, you might have looked at the title on your notes and thought, that's a strange title. Grounded in despair. Grounded in despair, really? Well, uh, what we're gonna look at this morning is uh, what the Bible teaches us about our human condition and our sinful nature. And left, that left all on its own really does lead to despair. But by God's grace, even in the midst of that despair for our sin, Uh, we can be grounded in Christ and in our hope that we have in him. And and so that's where we're headed this morning. But before we do, uh, let's just read uh, what we believe here on this point. And then I'm gonna pray. And then we're gonna be in Genesis chapter three today. So would you join me and just read this with me? Uh, We believe that God created Adam and Eve in his image, but they sinned when tempted by Satan. In union with Adam, human beings are sinners by nature and by choice, alienated from God and under his wrath. Only through God's saving work in Jesus Christ can we be rescued, reconciled, and renewed. Let me pray. Father, uh, thank you for Jesus, and thank you that, uh, Lord, even in the despair and uh, really hopelessness of our sin, you give us hope in Jesus to be rescued from 
the wrath uh, we owe or we, we we're to endure for our sin and, and the effects of sin in, in our life and even from ourselves and to, to reconcile us with you and one another and to renew and redeem and restore us. Lord uh, Jesus, you're our only hope. So would you make that clear today? <clears throat> Holy Spirit, would you speak to and through me even as I teach these things? And uh, might Jesus be made much of and we leave changed and encouraged. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I mentioned we're gonna be in Genesis 3, so if you got your Bible, you can open there. Uh, it's the first book of the Bible, right away there on the first page. And we are gonna be talking about our sinfulness, but before we get there, uh, I really want you to see that God created humanity in innocence. In innocence. Do you know, uh, when God created everything, if you read through Genesis 1 and 2, if you would read through that, you would see God created this and then he, he said something. Do you remember what he does? He says, and, and it was good. He looked at it and said, this is good. When God says it's good, what he's meaning is, is it's, it's good, it's complete, it's, it's fully complete, it's, it's, it's perfect, it's, it's totally right in every way. And after everything he created, he just kind of stepped back and, yeah, that's good. I wonder, do you ever do that? Do you ever create something and you step back and you look at it and you're like, yeah, I did pretty good on that. You're kind of imaging God in that moment because that's what he does in creation. Well, uh, as we keep reading, we get towards the end of, of, uh, of chapter one. And in verse 26, uh, we read this. Then God said, let us make man, and, and by man, uh, it's mankind, so all of us. Let us make humanity in our image, after our likeness. Now, I'm gonna pause there just for a moment. We talked about Trinity a couple weeks ago, the Trinity. I think here's a reference to the Trinity right here in Genesis 1, in our image, our likeness, right? Uh, but let's keep going. And then God says, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, if you're just reading this uh, from the outside looking in, and you've just read how God, this God created everything, and then he creates something that he says, you're to have dominion over everything else. What does that tell you about that thing he just created? They're better than everything else. They're more valuable. They're, they have a unique place in his creation because he, he says to, to humanity, he tells us to have dominion over everything else I've created. See, as, as humanity, we are God's crown jewel in his creation, kind of his signature on it because he creates us in his image. Look at verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. And as we keep going, uh, God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And, and God says, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth. And every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. And then uh, look at verse 31. God saw everything that he had made and behold, it, it wasn't just good. How was it? It was very good, very good. 
So God looks at, at everything he had created, especially now that the crown jewel of creation, humanity is here, and he steps back and goes, this is, this is really good, very good. And, and so God created us, and when he did, in saying that it was very good, he created humanity in innocence, right in every way, and with free will to love him and to worship him. And what I want you to see first from our statement of faith is that God created Adam and Eve, and he created us. He created you, he created me. He created all things. And, and this is really important because it means that life doesn't, as much as sometimes I wish it would, doesn't revolve around me, right? And even as much as sometimes we act like it does, it doesn't revolve around us. See, it begins with God. He was there in the beginning, God, and he created everything. I, I love what Pastor Rick Warren writes in The Purpose Driven Life. He says, the purpose of your life is greater than your own personal fulfillment, your happiness, your family, or your career. If you wanna know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. And what he's alluding to there is this, that if there's a creator, the creator gets to give us our purpose, doesn't he? I, I like to tell the story of my son, Charlie, who draw pictures and more and more now when he draws a picture, we can see what it is and know what it is. You know, he's getting older, but especially when he was younger, he would draw something and maybe you've had this experience with your own kids or grandkids and he'd bring it to me or, or bring it to Hannah and, and show us and you're so proud and you just smile and you look at him and go, oh, this is fantastic, pal. And then do you know what the next question was? What is it? Because we didn't know, we couldn't tell. But why would we ask him that? Because he created it. So he's the one who speaks purpose into it. He's the one who determines what it is and what it's for and what it represents, right? Well, in the same way, God's created us, and because he's created us, he's the one who speaks purpose into our lives. He's the one who tells us what life is all about. Uh, so it's really important to note there in our statement of faith and here in Genesis that God created Adam and Eve, and he created us. And it's important to note that he created us in his image, in his image, uh, we read this already, but let's circle back to, to verse 26 and 27. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And so he created mankind in his own image. And uh, male and female. Now, the best way to understand image in God, uh, in an easy way, I think, to understand it at least, is to think of your life like a mirror. And you were made imaging and reflecting God. Do you know, it, it, the Bible says nothing like this of anything else in creation other than humanity. The animals weren't created in God's image. The, the sky wasn't created in his image. Only mankind was, only humanity. So there's something unique about us in that we image and reflect something of who God is in a very unique way compared to everything else in all creation. We're, we're, we're in his likeness. We're like him in some way. We're not him but we're like him. And so that very fact is, is really important as well, just in terms of, of ethics and, and bioethics, especially in general, that all life has its value and dignity and worth, not in uh, its intellect, not in its ability, 
but in the fact that all human life images God and bears his image. So that means life in the womb and life at the very end of life is all valuable to God. That means the life of one who's incredibly brilliant and the life of one who's brain dead and on life support is incredibly valuable to God because we image him. We image him, do you see? And that's where our value and dignity and worth is. It has nothing to do with what we do, but it has everything to do with who God says we are because he created us and gets to say that. And being created in God's image means that we long for certain things that only God can give to us completely. Uh, I wonder, do you long for any of these things? How about love? Do you long for love? I bet you do, even if you can't articulate it, to be loved. Do you long for order, for justice, for joy, purpose, beauty? How about satisfaction? Mick Jagger did. He was imaging God in that song. He didn't even know it. But do you know, uh, the only place to get those things is in Christ and in God because we're in his image. And so our longing for that is to have that full image in us lived out. It can only be found in God. And we long for them because we're made for them, because they're attributes and benefits of God. And so if our creator gives us purpose, meaning and direction, which we've seen here so far, he he tells them to have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, all that good stuff. He, He sets the rules, doesn't he? The creator does. The creator determines what our life is to be about and how we're to live. And so look at Genesis 2, if we skip ahead a little bit. The Lord God took the man, that took Adam, and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Now, I've said this before, but I pointed out here because I think it sets up the rest that the Garden of Eden was, was much larger than the garden in your backyard. In fact, I would, I would kind of argue that it's probably something more akin to like Yellowstone National Park than it is to the garden in my backyard. When you look at some of the boundaries laid out in Genesis and the rivers there, I mean, we're talking a, a good chunk of land. And that's important to keep in mind here as we go forward, uh, because then the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden. You can eat of any tree you like, Adam. Go, go to town, enjoy it, love it, eat it. Except for one. There's one tree, he says, that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. So God gives all these positive commands of having dominion over everything and you can eat from every tree, all this good stuff, but then he gives one negative command. Don't eat from the one tree in the middle. Everything else is yours which tells me God's commands aren't restrictive like we sometimes think they are. They actually give incredible freedom to us, don't they? To live life the way it's meant to be lived. Well, uh, that one restrictive command, let's, let's see what happens and turn with me uh, forward a little bit here to Genesis chapter three. We read in Genesis three, now the serpent uh, was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, uh, 
what we learn here is that the serpent is Satan. As Satan was an angel who uh, rebelled against God and was cast down and uh, became an enemy of God in his pride wanting to be God. And so his goal now, since he can't be God, he, he's working deceptively to try to unravel everything that God has put in place. If you wanna get a clue on some of God's strategy, he's always just trying to unravel. He's like, he's like, uh, like four-year-old Josh with my grandma's crochet and I'd like to just pull the string and watch it unravel. That, that's part of what he's doing. And what you're gonna notice here is that everything that God has placed in order, Satan goes the opposite way back up the tree, so to speak. Uh, the serpent, he was more crafty than any other beast of the field the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, because God had made the man first and then the woman, so he's going backwards. Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, let's help Eve out a little bit here. Did God say, uh, I put you in this great, beautiful garden and you can't eat from any of the trees? No. He said the exact opposite, didn't he? Do you see? He said, you can eat from any tree in the garden except for one. And so uh, Eve says to the serpent, well, no, we may eat from the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. And here he goes again, but the serpent said to her, he said, you will not surely die. You won't die. He's saying the opposite of what, what God said. God said, yes, you will. The day you eat of it, you will surely die. For God knows, he says, that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. Here's what he's doing. He's, he's uh, kind of whispering in her ear saying, kind of creating some doubt. I don't think he really said that. Are you sure he said that? Are you sure he, he really knows what's best for you? Are you sure he really loves you? You're, are you sure he really, fill in the blank. Are you sure? And he starts working this web of lies to deceive her and he says, God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like him, knowing good and evil. Are you sure he's telling you everything? Are you sure? Are you sure he knows what's best? That's what the enemy's doing here. So when the woman heard these things, she, Eve ends up being deceived and she sees the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She, she bought into this lie. She took of its fruit and ate. You know what? We don't know what the fruit was, what kind it was, if it was an apple or a pomegranate, it doesn't really matter. But I do think it was tasty. I think the fruit tasted good for a couple reasons. First off, uh, she keeps eating and then what does she do? Adam, you gotta try this, right? She hands it to her husband who's standing right there and he eats of it. She gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. But the other reason I have a feeling it was tasty is because the reality is that the reason we all sin is because sin's enjoyable. There's always something about it that's enjoyable. We wouldn't sin if it wasn't. And, and for a moment, there's, there's pleasure and fulfillment, and, but as the writer of Hebrews tells us, that pleasure is what? Fleeting. 
it fades quickly and it's gone. And, and that's exactly what happens here with Adam and Eve. See, uh, they ate and I don't know how long they thought it was good, but, but after a little bit here, all of a sudden their eyes were both opened and they knew that they were naked. See, their understanding of evil and of sin went from conceptual to if I do that, this was gonna happen to experiential. Now they knew it. For, for you and I, for all of us, we've always been in both camps. We both know evil and sin experientially and we know it conceptually in terms of right and wrong. But, but this is the moment uh, we look back to where we knew it experientially. The eyes of both were opened. They knew they were naked. And so this plan is kind of funny. If you really think about it, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Those aren't gonna last very long. They're gonna be doing that an awful lot if that's all they got, aren't they? Won't probably make it through one wash cycle, that fig leaf. Well, uh, friends, we've all done this though, haven't we? We've, we've looked at what God has created and what God has said, and then we've turned and done what we've wanted. And while humanity was created in innocence, we've all sinned in rebellion. We all have. There's not one of us who hasn't. Adam and Eve knew what was right, but they rebelled against God. You and I, we know what's right, but we still rebel against God and have at times. And as we stated in our, in our statement of faith, we believe God created Adam and Eve in his image, but they sinned when tempted by Satan. Sin is just missing, missing the mark. It's, and God had clearly laid out that mark, hadn't he? One tree, don't eat from that one. But they did. And uh, Adam and Eve were innocent before God prior to the fall, and they had a perfect relationship with him. But uh, as soon as they broke that command, things started to unravel in a big way. And I have a feeling the enemy, Satan, thought, I got him, I got him. Because suddenly now their relationship with God is wrecked and our relationship with him is wrecked. Not only that, but you're gonna see here their relationship with each other was wrecked. And our relationship with creation gets wrecked because of sin. We're gonna see all that this morning uh, but what I want you to see uh, first, even before we dive into that, just let's talk theologically here a little bit. In, in our sin, we've rebelled against God and all of us, all human beings now are sinners in two primary ways. First, we're sinful by nature, by nature. In other words, we are all in union with Adam, created, sinful, inheriting a sin nature. And in our, in our sin nature, every one of us is culpable for sin and we're predisposed to sin and rebel rather than obey God. And because of Adam's sin, we all inherit sin. And we choose to disobey God on our own. Uh, you know, Romans 5, Paul writes, he says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, speaking of Adam, and death through sin, so death death spread to all men because all have sinned. Uh, David says this in Psalm 51, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. In sin did my mother conceive me. 
You know, this is really kind of an easy point to argue if you've ever been around kids or you have kids of your own. Have you ever had to uh, sit a child down and say, I need to teach you a word. Just try to sound it out after me. Mine. Right? No, I don't think you got it. Mine. Or how about, uh, no. You're not rebelling right against me. You gotta say it with more oomph. No. Right? You ever do that with your kids? Me neither. Still do it. Never taught them. Or, uh, you know, did you teach them when somebody steals their toy to chase after the one who stole them and smack them with the right hand and then give them the big clobber with the stuffed animal with the left? You never taught them that, did you? But isn't it true we all are predisposed that way? It's because we have this sin nature that we've inherited from Adam. And sin, by the way, is always laid at the foot of Adam, not at Eve. Have you noticed that? Even though Eve... excuse me, sinned first uh, and took the fruit, Adam is the one who's blamed for sin. And we inherit our sin nature through him. Uh, Therefore, as sin, we read, came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because we've all sinned. Uh, In Corinthians, we read, as in Adam, all die, so in Christ, all shall be made alive. But but why Adam, I wonder? Didn't, Didn't Eve sin first? Well, uh, Paul gives us a little clue in 1 Timothy 2. We read that Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Now, if if you don't know a little theology here, this is, in your Bible, this gets a little confusing and you might get your hair up on your back, back of your neck, right? But uh, part of what Paul's saying here, part of it is that uh, Eve was deceived in sin Adam wasn't deceived. He sinned with his eyes wide open. He knew exactly what he was doing. And in a very real sense, then while Eve was deceived, Adam did it willfully. And it kind of teaches us some things about sin too, that sometimes we sin willfully and there's consequence. Sometimes we sin because we've been deceived and somebody's tricked us. And you're like, I didn't know. Yeah, but there's still consequence, isn't there? or I did it ignorantly, there's still consequence. And the reality is then that the consequence of sin affects all of us in our sin, however it originated. And we inherit our sin through Adam. And if we say we have no sin, Jesus' friend John says we deceive ourselves and the truth isn't in us. Well, we're sinners by nature and then we're sinners too by choice. We, we choose to sin. Not only are we guilty because of our sin nature, we're guilty because we choose it. We do. Every one of us do, and we know it. Uh, Paul says to the Romans, all have sinned and they fall short of the glory of God. We've all turned aside and together become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Friends, we are sinners, not only by nature, but by choice. Uh, And we know it now, not simply as a concept, but experientially because we have sinned. Just like Adam and Eve knew it experientially when their eyes were opened. And once their eyes were opened, they knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves and tried to cover themselves. You know, we do the same thing when we sin. What's our gut reaction? To hide, (laughs) to cover it up. Wasn't me, I didn't do it. No, it couldn't be, right? We do the same thing. 
And the reality is that while humanity was created in innocence, we've all rebelled in sin against God and it's left some scars on us. It leaves scars, friends. Let's just keep reading here in Genesis 3. Because after they cover themselves, then we read uh, in verse eight, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. That would have likely been in the evening. And the man and his wife, they, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. It's probably not gonna work, is it? Hiding from God? It's not gonna happen. But the Lord God uh, called to the man and he said to him, Hey, where are you? Where are you? And Adam said, I, well, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. I mean, this is just a good dad going after his kids, right? Hey, where are you? Why are you hiding? What happened? And then I wonder if there was, wasn't just an audible sigh from God before this next line. <laughs> Who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree I told you not to eat from? Is that what happened? And then uh, Adam does something that we also all do. You know what it is? Wasn't me. Wasn't me, he shifts blame right away, doesn't he? No, it wasn't me, it was the woman. She gave me the fruit. And by the way, the woman that you gave me, God. So really, this is probably your fault. The woman you gave me gave me fruit to eat and I ate it. So then uh, God continues and he goes to Eve and he says, what, what is this? What, what have you done? Why have you done this? And she does the same thing. Oh, it wasn't me. Nope, nope, the serpent. He, see, he deceived me. I didn't know. I didn't even know what I was like. You can't blame me. I didn't know. I was deceived. So then God moves on to the serpent and he, he says this, uh, because you've done this, cursed are you above all, the live, all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Now, uh, we could get into a discussion here and get really distracted by the fact of, well, so does that mean snakes used to walk like they used to have legs? Like, how does that work? Were they really snakes? Were they huge? Were they small? Was it more like a dragon? All that, fine, explore that, dream about that, read about it, study it. Ultimately, it doesn't matter at this point. The point is that Satan deceived Adam and deceived Eve and, he, and, and Eve and Adam both sin and now everything is messed up. This is where it all went wrong. This is where everything went wrong. And then in verse 15, God addresses the serpent. He says, I'm gonna put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. See, for a moment when they sinned, uh, Satan had to be thinking, yes, I won. And God here is kind of like, not so fast, not so fast. See, I'm gonna put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. In other words, there's another one coming in her line and you better watch out because you're gonna bruise his heel. He will crush your head. 
Now, we're gonna come back and circle back to this, but this is really the first promise of the gospel in all of scripture. It's the first promise of Jesus. And it comes before Adam and Eve can do anything to atone for their sin. God promises a fix. He says, I'm gonna fix what you messed up. Theologically, uh, we mentioned BIC is starting up again this week, or students who've been in BIC. Uh, this is the Proto-Evangelium, the first gospel. And the rest of the plot line of the Bible is saying, how will this promise be fulfilled? And we start tracing it through Adam, and, or through, uh, through Abraham, and, and, and all the way down the line, and Isaac, and Jacob, and you just keep moving all the way through and you get to the New Testament, you find out the, the offspring of the woman is Jesus. And Paul tells us in Romans 16 that, that Jesus will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. And so all of scripture is tracing this promise. Who is this one? And how's he gonna do it? Well, let's keep reading here now because then God goes to, to Eve and he says, I'll surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you will bring forth children. Your desire will be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. See, we, we saw their relationship with God wrecked where they had to hide from him. And now we start to see uh, clues that their own personal relationship will be wrecked as well. There's gonna be some fights in their marriage. Probably none of yours though, right? because of our sinfulness, right? And uh, at, to Adam then he says, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground. See all creation, our relationship with creation is wrecked too. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you will eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the, eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for, for out of it you are taken. For your dust and to dust you shall return. There's consequence now for sin. They are going to die. Well, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living, and that's what her name uh, means in Hebrew. It just uh, means giver of life. And, uh, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins, and he clothed them. Now, this is pretty cool because here we see God's grace. He had every right in the moment they sinned, that's it. The moment he said, You eat of it, you will surely die but they didn't. He showed grace to them even in their rebellion, didn't he? And then he takes the fig leaf that they tried to cover themselves with and he gives them a skin to cover themselves. And if there's skins, again, we're gonna circle back to this uh, in just a moment, but that means something had to die to provide that skin. Keep that in mind. They would have seen death and experienced the horror of that for the very first time ever. Then the Lord God said, behold, the man's become like us in, in knowing good and evil experientially. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. 
Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim with a, and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. See, friends, in, in rebelling against God, we've become his enemies. We're, we're alienated from him. Uh, Romans 5, 10 tells us that we were enemies of God when Christ died for us. And we've turned and rebelled against him. And because of that, we deserve God's wrath for our sin. I do and you do. Because God is perfectly just. He can't just like uh, wink and ignore our sin. It, it has to be dealt with. It has to. If it didn't, he wouldn't really be just. It would be contrary to his nature to not deal with it. And so the choice left is, will I deal with it myself or will I let him deal with it for me? Will I cover myself with a fig leaf that's not gonna last through the day or will I allow him to cover me? And really all of this then points to the fact that God does provide a fix and even offers forgiveness and escape from his wrath by placing it on Jesus because our sin leaves scars that only Jesus can heal. Only he can heal. I mean, it's only, only by the work of Jesus' cross, of, of Jesus' work on the cross that we can be rescued. We can be rescued from God's wrath. See, Jesus, when, when he dies on the cross, he goes to the cross, he had never sinned. Yet the wages of sin is death. The reason death enters the world is because of Adam and Eve's sin and because of your sin and my sin. But, but Jesus, he never sinned. And yet he goes to the cross and he dies uh, and receives a wage that he did not earn. And, and he does it because of his love for you and for me. And then he's, uh, he died, he was buried, but he rose again on the third day to new life so that he could give us new life and be our substitute. And it's only by the work of Jesus then that our relationship with God and with one another is reconciled. It's the only way true reconciliation in any realm of life happens ultimately, is in Jesus. And it's only by the work of Jesus then that we can be renewed. That we can be renewed. Um, see, what happens in, in scripture, I, I mentioned this promise in Genesis 3.15, that, that we're always tracing this promise now through scripture. And how is God gonna fix what we've messed up? Well, what you find out, if you fast forward to the very end of the book, you get to Revelation 22, that all the things God initiated in Genesis 1 and 2, he's now brought to fruition in Revelation 22. He, he created Adam and Eve in, in perfect paradise, in a garden. He said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over it. And it goes from garden in Genesis to city in Revelation. And... Uh, it just, it, God completes what we failed. And how he does that is through Jesus. And, and I want to just see uh, briefly here as we wrap up that there's kind of three things here just to note that really provide that surprise ending because it starts off good and then all of a sudden you get to Genesis three and it's all gone wacky, but somehow God brings it all back together in the end. And we get clues of that right away in Genesis three. 
First off is this, that, that God does provide a promise of someone, namely Jesus, to fix it all. And he will. And we've talked about that. So let's go on to verse 21. We also see not only a promise, but a substitute. A substitute. Uh, see, uh, God realizes that uh, that fig leaf that they sowed for themselves, that's not gonna last. And it's not gonna do them very good over time. And, and the same fig leaves we kind of sow for ourselves, they're not gonna do in the long run. So what God does is he makes garments for them of skin. And again, if you make garments of skin, that means an animal had to die. He said, if you eat of the fruit of this tree, you will surely die. Well, they didn't die, not in the moment, but an animal did as a substitute for them so that they could be covered. And God's people all throughout the Old Testament, or you read about them sacrificing animals uh, to, to cover their sin, to atone for their sin before God. And, and there had to be death and a payment for sin. And so they were a substitute. But, but here's the deal. That substitute here in Genesis 3 and all those throughout the Old Testament were only kind of like the interest payment on your mortgage. You could just keep paying the interest every month, but you'd still have a huge debt laying out there, wouldn't you? That someday's gonna come due. And so what happens is all of this points forward to Jesus who would be our perfect substitute who, who doesn't just pay the interest payment, but he comes in and he pays off the whole loan, makes the balloon payment, and now it's paid in full and done. And all of it points to Jesus. So there was a promise, there was gonna be a substitute. And then this, this last piece as we wrap up, God kicks him out of Eden. There's this eviction and you might think, that's kind of mean. I thought God loved him, wanted what's best for him. Why wouldn't he want him to stay there? I mean, God said, behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. In fact, uh, he drove out the man. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. See, if God hadn't done this and had allowed them to remain in the garden, to eat from the tree of life in their sinful, broken state, how would they have remained forever in that sinful, broken state? That was the angels, that was Satan. He sinned and rebelled and there was no way for there to be a fix for him. But for Adam and Eve, uh, God says, and for us, uh, no, you're made in my image. I I'm not willing to let that be your future. I have a better future for you. I have a better one. And so uh, I I've provided a promise of somebody who's gonna fix it, somebody who's gonna be your substitute. And so I don't want you to stay in this state forever and I'm gonna fix this. And he gives them a little glimpse into how he's gonna do it in Jesus Christ. And so friends, even in the beginning there, in their sin, God gives hope. And what I want you to see this morning, uh, again, God created us, created humanity in innocence, but we've sinned in rebellion against him. It's left some scars, but Jesus can heal them. And so whatever you find yourself in today, 
there's hope. Our God is a God of, of second, third, fourth, fifth, 35th chances. And you can always turn back to him. And Jesus Christ can heal, can rescue you, can reconcile those relationships, can restore and renew you as you put your faith in him. If you've never trusted him, it's the greatest decision you'd ever make and I encourage you to do it today. If you have, he's still there to work these things in your life as you grow in that faith. With that, let me pray. We're gonna sing about that truth and uh, call it a morning. Father, thank you for Jesus.